Good morning. Are we awake? I'm awake. All right. (laughs) In the book, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway, there's this short snippet of dialogue between two characters. One character, Bill, asks another, how did you go bankrupt? And the other character, Mike, said two ways, gradually and then suddenly. And I think that applies to a lot of things in life. If someone were to ask you about climate change, how it happened, you might say, well, gradually over a long period of time, but then in the last few years, it feels suddenly like we've, we've reached a threshold. Maybe your relationships, communities, nations, I think this applies. I think about a conflict that I had a while back with a friend that felt like it had gotten kind of intense. And in some ways, it felt like, well, gradually over time, there were misses in communication. And then suddenly, all at once, like it became really intense and took a lot of work to navigate. We've been going through the series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is this detailed teaching that Jesus gave. And last week, I mentioned that if I was to summarize what this teaching is about, it's about living in right relationship with God and right relationship with people and sort of a vision of the kind of people that we can be, that God is inviting us to be. And if you were to read through the teaching, if you've been following with us, you know that some things that Jesus says are a little intense. Like, did he really mean that? Like, what did he mean by that? And truthfully, I think what Jesus is trying to do is bring our attention to behaviors, motivations, emotions that might seem insignificant, but gradually, over time, they're consequential. And then suddenly, they can have a very big impact on our lives and the people that we're becoming. So the last section, if you've been following with us, was largely about how we relate to other people and our relationships with people. And the section we're looking at today is a lot about our relationship with God. So let me say a prayer for us before we dive into the passage. God, we invite your Holy Spirit's presence here. We ask that you would help us settle in. Pray especially for distractions from things that we're carrying, anxiety, heavy things, whatever it is, God. I pray that you would help us center our minds and our hearts on you and the word that you have for us this morning. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So just as a reminder, Jesus is giving this teaching to his closest followers, but there's also crowds of people, a lot going on, a lot of people listening. And this is what he says, starting in chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So I think... Essentially, what Jesus is saying in this teaching could be summed up by this quote from Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. The last temptation is the greatest treason, 
to do the right deed for the wrong reason. Jesus is saying, your motives matter. It's not just what you do, but why you do it. And I imagine that all of us probably have had an experience of a person that people hold in really high esteem. They're really shiny. They do all the right things, and yet we've seen this other side of their motivations and what's really inside of them. It's not just what you do, but why you do it. Motives matter. This section reminds me of a scene in the show Friends. There's uh, this episode where Phoebe and Joey are arguing about whether or not there's a selfless good deed. And Phoebe is trying to prove that there is, and so she lets a bee sting her. Because, well, who wants to be stung by a bee, but also the bee would have looked really cool in front of its bee friends. But she didn't realize that the bee probably died, and so (laughs) Joey tells her that, and it's like, well, is there anything, is there a selfless good deed? Does that exist? I think part of what Jesus is saying, too, is our motivations are often mixed, and sometimes we're not even aware of them. Maybe you do a good deed, or you give some money away, and like 30% of you does it because you really care. And then 10% of you wants the tax write-off. And then 20% of you is virtue signaling. You want people to know you're a good person. And then another 20% is virtue signaling, not because you want people to know you're a good person, but they just need to know where you stand on this issue. And then I lost track of the math, but the rest of you, (laughs) the rest of you is like, you don't even know why. Like, I'm just doing this. Our motivations are complicated and complex, and sometimes they're mixed. It's hard to keep our heart pure in devotion to God, to do it for the right reasons. So Jesus gives this advice, do it in secret, so no one sees you, as a way of purifying your motives. Go wash a public toilet and don't tell anyone about it. Bring in your neighbor's trash cans without them seeing you. Send a card with money in it without sending your, signing your name. When you do those things, not only can it purify your motives, but it also shows you just how much you care about people's recognition, the good feeling that you get from it, why it is you're doing what you're doing. So do it in secret. Jesus goes on to say, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So very similarly, your motivations matter. And also when you pray, you don't need all this fancy language. It doesn't need to be this really long prayer. You're not fighting for God's attention. God is there. So go in secret. Motives matter. Now Jesus gives specific instructions how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this may be a familiar prayer to you, but we're going to spend a little time here. So if it is familiar, it'll be a refresher. Jesus starts out the prayer with this line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a line of adoration, of praise, acknowledging that God is holy, that God is distinct, that God is other. And the reason that I love this and that it makes sense to me is not only because God is worthy of our praise and that praise ushers us into the presence of God, but also how we view God affects how we pray. So if you think God is distant, uninterested, set the world into motion and took a step back, that's going to affect how you pray. If you think God is like super excited to talk to you and be with you, like running to greet you and just wants time with you, that's going to affect how you pray and how you talk to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The next line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an invitation for God's will to be done in our lives, in our city, in our neighborhood, for his justice to reign, for God to have his way, the way that God intended things to be. And I think sometimes the tension that we feel with this is like, should I really be praying about this injustice or this crisis or this suffering? Shouldn't I just do something about it instead? Like praying could be almost an excuse to not act. It could remove you. It's a step back. And yet I love something that Mother Teresa said in her acceptance speech of her Nobel Peace Prize. This is what she said. And so my prayer for you is that truth will bring prayer in our homes. And the fruit of prayer will be that we believe that in the poor, it is Christ. And if we really believe, we will begin to love. And if we love naturally, we will try to do something. See, prayer isn't removed from action. It moves us to action. Prayer helps us partner with God in the world that God is making. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And doesn't that just feel like a relief? That we can trust God with our needs that God cares. On the other hand, I don't know if we realize just how countercultural this is. I think right now in this cultural moment, many of us are terrified of dependence. I can't tell you how many people I've heard in the last year say, I have a really hard time asking for help and receiving help. To Ask God for daily bread is to acknowledge that we need God. Like that our dependence is on God, that we have limits, that we can't do everything. That our dependence is ultimately not on our bank account or our job or our relationships, but on God. That's not a Santa Claus kind of prayer. 
God, will you give me whatever it is that I want? It's an invitation to intimacy, to dependence. God, I trust you with what I need. Then Jesus goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that doesn't sound very great. (laughs) Okay. If we don't forgive people, God isn't going to forgive us. I'm sure we could all imagine, like, does he mean so-and-so, this person that hurt me? Okay, I just keep forgiving how many times? I don't know if Jesus is describing a transaction here. I think it's more than that. Greg Boyle is the founder of Homeboy Industries, the largest gang rehabilitation program in the world. I've told stories of his before here. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, he tells a story of Soledad. She is a mom who lost one son to gang violence. He was a Marine, but home on leave. Multiple gun wounds, lost his life. Six months later, one of her other sons comes to her trying to break through her grief. She had been mourning for six months. Like, Mom, we need you here. Mom, take a shower. Mom, you got to take care of yourself. Broke through the grief. That same day, that son was also lost to gang violence. Multiple gun wounds. She mourned for years. Two years later, she had a conversation with Father Greg Boyle, and she said, the hurt wins. The hurt wins. Two months later, she went to the hospital because she was having an irregular heartbeat. And while she was there, they rushed in this teenager, covered in blood, gun wounds. The situation was so dire that they didn't close the curtain in between Soledad and the teenager. And she immediately recognized that he belonged to the rival gang that took both of her sons from her. She said, in in that moment, any of my friends would have told me to pray that he would die. And she could hear the medical professionals saying, we're losing him, we're losing him. She said, I cried like never before and said, please, God, let him live. I don't want his mom to go through what I went through. And the kid lived. See, I don't think Jesus is saying we forgive so that God will forgive us. As much as forgiveness is like air that we breathe, we inhale God's forgiveness and we exhale. And we exhale so we can inhale because we need more and receive more. And it's like something that we live in and it's not easy, but it's possible because of our relationship with God. It is possible. See, prayer is just not a way that we see God move or we partner with God or a way that God meets us, but it's also prayer that allows God's heart to become our heart. God's heart to become our heart. Great. So Jesus gave us like this really specific guideline how to pray. Easy enough. Here's the thing about prayer, though. 
Truthfully, when anyone tells me they're like beginning a prayer journey, you know, I try to encourage them, it'll get better. Because in the beginning, it is awkward. You're like just sitting in a silent room. Who am I talking to? What do I even say? Like, you know, and it does get better because you learn different tools and styles and what works for you and your personality in a specific season. And you learn to hear God's voice and how to discern God's voice from your voice and other voices. And also, the image that I have in my head of our prayer journey is sort of like this. It's like, yeah, it gets better, but the journey there is a mess. <laughs> because <laughs> at one moment, it's going great. God is responding, you're close to God, and then another season, it's like, God, where are you? Are you here? Do you care? Is this even doing anything? Does this matter? I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And then God moves and you're like, okay, this is great again. This is great. And this is, this is the journey of prayer. We can easily get discouraged with prayer and just give up and set the practice aside. We're starting this prayer challenge in October and I echo Brad's invitation of what if we just did it? if we just gave it a try? What if we just said, this is the time I have, this is the heart I have, this is the faith I have, and I'm just, I'm just going to do it? Tyler Statton, he's a pastor in Portland who wrote a book recently on prayer. And in it, he tells a story of when he was a teenager, and he wasn't really sure how he felt about God. He was sort of like, okay, if God is real or not, I'd like to know now, so I don't waste any time. <laughs> and a mentor of his encouraged him or invited him and said, what do you think would happen if you prayed for your peers in school this summer? And he said, I don't know. So the mentor said, well, why don't you give it a try? So Tyler prayed every day that summer, walked around his school campus with the directory, remember those, and like prayed for people by name. And it was really cool because out of that, he started this campus club for teenagers to ask existential questions and talk about faith and Jesus, and it was growing. But the part of that story that I find really compelling is that through the practice, he said he started to really like God. Through praying, he started to really like God. See, I wonder what would happen if we just did it. We just tried. Maybe God would move. We would see God answer prayers. Maybe God's heart could become our heart. God's heart for our neighbor, for our coworker, for our city could become our heart. Maybe God could change us so dramatically that it changes our relationships. And maybe we would walk away with a deeper love for God and a deeper awareness of God's love for us. So what if we just did it? Something that has been really helpful for me in my journey with prayer is hearing other people's stories. Sort of stretches your imagination. Does God talk like that? Does God do that? Does God respond in that way? But also acknowledging the challenges with other people. Oh, I'm not the only one <laughs> that feels this way about prayer sometimes. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And after that, I, I'm going to give you some time to talk in groups of two or three. If you want to reflect on your own, that's okay too. Of what meaningful experiences you've had with prayer. Like what's your, 
awesome prayer story that you're just eager to tell and or what challenges have you had with prayer? And maybe through that, we can encourage one another as we enter into this challenge. Let me say a prayer for us. I just hold fast to your word that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And our hope and expectation is that in this challenge, you would draw near to us, that you would stretch our faith and imagination and wonder for you. And I pray right now in our conversations that that would happen, that you would bring to mind ways that you've responded in prayer, small and big, That if we carry around any shame about prayer because we haven't done it or we've had challenges with it or whatever it is, that that would just fall off so that we could just be with you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So take some time to chat together, meaningful experience with prayer, and then challenges that you've had.